We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. And if you would, open your Bibles up to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. We're starting it today. There are 12 chapters in this book, and we will be in it for the next 12 weeks. So I'm excited, and I, and I hope you are too. Short summary, this book, the first six chapters, you guys, I'm sure, have known and loved. You have read all the, all the um, stories and children books and things like that. Um, I am praying that these first six weeks within these first six chapters will be absolutely transformative in your life. Chapters 7 to 12 roughly can be said that those are about Daniel's dreams, even though next week we're actually going to get into one of them in chapter 2. But 7 to 12 are um, really weird and really hard, and we're going to go for it, okay? And I'm praying that that also would be transformative. Daniel is in, is in the Old Testament, um, but the genre that we are, uh, ascribe to this book is called apocalyptic. Everyone say that. Ready? Yeah, it's a little bit difficult. What word do you hear in there? Apocalypse. That's right. Apocalypse. It comes from the Greek word meaning, uh, it's, uh, apoc- uh, let me get it right, uh, apocalypsis, which means uncovering, right? And it's this idea that we're taking the, the cover off of the future. And so Daniel receives these dreams, and it's for him the future un, un, unveiling itself. It's, it's being uncovered. And for us, looking back, some of it has already been uncovered. Some of it already happened, already revealed, and some is yet to come. And so we're going to learn all about the apocalypse. <laughs> now, if you say that, immediately, you know, if you're like watching shows and reading sci-fi, you're thinking like aliens and like all sorts of like zombies and werewolves. And um, when you say that as it relates to Scripture, you think of the end times, the days to come, like when the world ends and begins anew. You think of, of like all sorts of dragons and white horses and good against evil. And guess what? It's going to be awesome. Um, personal note, um, I think that this... Um, this genre is especially applicable in, uh, uh, to non-Christians right now, okay? I think um, non-Christians are wondering and wanting to know about all these sci-fi stuff. They're into zombies. They're into werewolves. They want to know the future and what's happening. This would be the time to invite your friends to church. 
Okay? So think about that. Think about for the next 12 weeks, think about inviting your neighbor, your friend, and say, hey, just give it a shot with me. Like we're talking about all this weird stuff that, that no one ever talks about. All these prophecies that either have been fulfilled or will be. So we're going to be talking about dragons and bears and lions and empires and kingdoms. Would you come with me to church? Give it a shot. See what happens. The theme that, that I've chosen for uh, the next 12 weeks to summarize the book of Daniel is a forever kingdom. Um, I, uh, I am not uh, under the notion that 10 years from now, you will remember every sermon that I ever give. Okay, And I am not under the assumption that you'll remember every point in every sermon that I ever give. But I would love it that if you look back, even on, for instance, the book of Romans, you said, you know what? That was a good book. What was that about? Oh, yeah, that's right. It was about the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Remember that? We learned a lot about righteousness for the past year and a half. And I would love it if five, ten years, you would look back and go, hmm, Daniel. It's, not, it's, it's more than just that one chapter where he gets thrown in the lion's den. That's about a kingdom. It's a big theme in this book. Kingdom. Like right away, in chapter one, we're going to meet a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. And he's a king. And we'll see that he has a, a desirous lust for everything, for conquering, for being king over everything. Next week, we're going to see about his dream. We're going to learn about kingdoms. And guess what? Each of those kingdoms that we will see next week, they're all going to fall. We'll see Daniel trust God amidst uh, very difficult leadership. He'll thrive under very uh, ungodly kings. Chapter 7, it's going to be like we're walking through a zoo. We're going to meet a lion and a bear and a leopard and a beast representing Babylon, Persia, Greece, and the kingdom of the Antichrist. And guess what? All of those kingdoms have either fallen or will fall. We'll read about Daniel's vision of the Son of Man the kingdoms of the north and the south and the happenings of the tribulation and the resurrection and the kingdom of God in all of its fullness. And guess what? We're going to see that that kingdom is the kingdom that lasts and that triumphs over all. I was born in 1980, so I'm 41. And uh, in my short 41 years, I have seen some kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. I remember when Reagan was president when I was nine. And I remember for, as a nine-year-old that he did a really nice job. He was a good president. And he put a lot of great things into place, a lot of great policies. And I remember when, uh, when the next guy came along and all of his policies were thwarted. And I remember as a nine-year-old, as best as I could remember going, huh, well, that sure is temporal. I remember that same year, the Berlin Wall being torn down. I saw it on the news. And I remember going, huh, that didn't stay forever. 
I remember my whole town tying yellow ribbons around the trees in support of desert storm. And I remember having this feeling like we are unstoppable. We are an, an incredible kingdom. And we can go wherever we want and do whatever we want because we're the best. We're the greatest kingdom on this earth. I remember thinking that. And then I remember when I was in college at Miami of Ohio and hearing that an airplane hit one of the Twin Towers. And I rode my bike home and told all my, my roommates that something's going on. We never watched the news. Like we were just into our stuff, right, in college. We turned that TV on and we saw that second plane hit the Twin Towers and we saw both of them fall. And I remember going, maybe, maybe America isn't an everlasting kingdom. Maybe, maybe we're not so unstoppable. I, I, I was talking to a friend last week at Potluck. Did you guys like Potluck, by the way? Amen. Wasn't that fun? Amen. I got an amen. Can I get a hallelujah from this side? Okay. Okay. All right. There we are. Let's do it again, shall we? Mm -hmm. And we were talking about like football records. And he was saying, isn't it? I mean, those records were untouchable for forever. For forever. I mean, can you beat that record? I don't think so. I don't think so. And then what happens in the NFL? How about we add one more game? How about we add a 17th game? And then what do we see? All these records being shattered. And they'll continue to. And then a guy will be like, no, no, no. We'll never be able to break that record. And then in 2040, they'll add an 18th game. And then it'll be broken. And there'll be another asterisk to all the record books. Records are made to be broken. I remember, I remember even thinking about O.J. Simpson, the guy who, like, who had it all, had all the money and the legacy. And I remember in high school, my, in, in the cafeteria, watching him being chased and going, what? Legacy. Even his legacy, like just kingdoms fall and kings fall and rise and football players and everything. Whose kingdom are you living for? That's right. That's the question for the next 12 weeks. I want to show you a key verse in the book of Daniel. Would you flip to chapter 7? Here's verses 13 and 14. If you don't have your Bibles, it's up on the screen for you. But I would encourage you, especially with narrative, bring your Bible. We can't go verse by verse. So it's going to be a lot of storytelling. You need to be able to see it in the Scriptures. So bring your Bibles. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. I'm going to read it for you. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented and, and was presented before him, verse 14, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Now watch this. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. 
That's good news, isn't it? Yes. Let's, let's begin this book and see what the king is all about in his forever kingdom, shall we? The title for today is Forever Generous. That's the sermon title. And the timeless truth, the truth that is true both for Daniel and his friends during that time and is true for us today is this. In God's kingdom, the forever king is forever generous. And so I'm getting that language of generosity from three verses in the first chapter. This is, this is the intentional effort of the author, which I believe is Daniel, um, giving it to us today, okay? So look at it in verse 2. You see how it says, and the Lord gave, okay? Let your eyes go down to verse 9. Look at it with me. It says, and God gave. And then go ahead and look at verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them. Verse 17. So this chapter, we see that God is generous and He's giving to His people and there's certain reasons why He's doing it. Okay? So let's start with point number one. If you're taking notes, here we go. The Lord gave because He's faithful. First unit of thought. Verses 1 to 7, okay? Let me read verses 1 and 2 for us. And then we'll pause and talk about it and, and see how it relates, okay? Here's verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. All right, so let's just lift our heads for a second, step back. I know there's a lot of weird words. There's unfamiliar places. Um, so far, if you've been tracking with me, you're like, yeah, Pastor Mike, all right. Kingdoms, kingdom of God, we win at the end. Sweet. And then I'm going to read verse 1, and you're like, totally wasn't expecting that. Shock factor at a high, right? Because what you just read, Newman, was inconsistent with everything you were telling me. From what I just read, it looks like God's people lose here, and the bad dudes, the evil ones, are triumphing. How in the world is that happening? And how did that happen? How did, how did it happen that Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem and now they're in exile in the land of Babylon? And the short answer is this, ready? That God was, emphasis on was, God was being faithful to his word and his covenant with his covenanted people. God was still faithful. He wasn't taking a nap. This didn't catch him by surprise. The exile was a part of him being faithful to his word. Let me show you what I mean, okay? Leviticus 26. You don't have to go there, but let me read it for you. Leviticus 26, 33. This is God speaking. That if his people would not fulfill 
the covenant that he made with them at Mount Sinai, if they wouldn't live up to their part of the bargain, that this is what he was going to do with them. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, Leviticus is earlier than Daniel. So this is God speaking about what would happen if they didn't fulfill the covenant. Here we go. And I will scatter you among the nations. And I will unsheathe the sword after you. And your land will be a desolation and your cities a waste. Okay, so we're still in Daniel. Chapter 1, verse 1, we're already learning about the faithfulness of God and we're saying that whew, God is actually painfully faithful sometimes. That He is going to be true to His Word. If we could frame it a different way, it would be this, that, that they, the people of Israel, committed high treason and idolatry against the King, God. And so, in a sense, God is faithful, absolutely faithful to His promises. And you can bank on it, even when it might hurt a little bit. Look at what Daniel wrote in verse 2 with me. This is verse 2 again. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand. Now that's another shocker, isn't it? Daniel ascribes absolute responsibility and authority to God. And he says that God gave the people of God into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. What do you think this teaches us about Daniel's view of God? We're going to be asking that in community group this week as we dialogue about this, this text. But you can bank on this, that Daniel believed that God had a purpose and he fulfills his purposes through people, whether they're Christians or non-Christians. He uses Christians or non-Christians to execute his plan on this earth. I think a big part of what God was doing here was he was being faithful to his promise, to his covenant with Abraham originally. Genesis 12, don't go there, but let me just tell it to you. He pulls Abraham out of Ur and he says, hey, I'm going to bless you with land, seed, and, and blessing. I'm going to make you a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And so right here we see this, even a partial fulfillment that, that God is taking his people, he's putting them in the land of Babylon, and he's like, he's going to start blessing. He's going to start making his name known throughout all the earth because that is what God does. That is his MO, that's his business. He loves spreading his fame across the globe. That's what he's doing. How is he going to do that? I think he's going to equip his people to do the work of the Lord. He's going to strengthen them. He's going to cause them to thrive. He's going to equip them to live for God. That's how he's going to spread his name in Babylon. And that's how he's going to spread his name in Mainville. But we'll get there. Okay? Jeremiah 29, 7. 
lot of Old Testament for you, says this, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you to, into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find welfare. Isn't that great? Hey, Christians, wherever you're at, seek the welfare of the city. Don't be just about your own stuff, right? Seek the welfare of the city, and in so doing, I'll be praised and glorified. How about that for a missional God? That's what he's doing. And that's what he wants you to do. He wants you to thrive right where you're at, to seek the welfare of this community. Another thing that the Lord is doing right off the bat is that he is displaying how kingdom works. Specifically, how God's kingdom works. Notice that right away we see defeat happen for the people of God. And later we'll see triumph. We've seen that order as we've been studying the scriptures together as a church. We've seen that, that suffering comes and then glory. That's modeled with Jesus Christ. We saw that he got a crown of thorns first before he was crowned with triumph. And then Philippians, we read that it's the same order for us. It's so counterintuitive, right? That first comes the suffering, then comes the resurrection, and then the glory. Guys, we're just on verses 1 and 2, and I hope you're already going like, Woo! This is a rich book! And man, I think Newman's going to take till 2040 to get through this book, right? I promise, we'll be quick, but we just got to like give a good intro to this. This is where we're at. This is beautiful. So friends, just be encouraged. If the media would have like got a hold of this story right away, I mean, they would have just blown it up, right? They would have been like, oh, the people of God are so defeated. And they even like lost all their stuff from their temple. Like, and, and, and they're going to lose. And like, let's just like, let's just talk all about this on Fox and CNN and like, you know, Instagram. Let's, let's, let's make sure that the world knows that Israel is losing, but not just that. And this is why I think Daniel emphasizes that the, that the, that the temple instruments were brought away is that it's kind of like in the Olympics, you know, how like the Olympics started and um, you know, the, it's the winter Olympics. So I can't say like running examples. So, so it's like, what would a good example be that, that this certain, who's a good ice skater these days? I haven't started watching it from anyone. know? Okay. Who, what, what country's good at ice skating? Sweden. Okay. So let's say, let's say uh, the U S that's right. Uh, let's say um, a skater from Sweden loses. What do we say? We say Sweden lost, don't we? And in the same way, when, when the people of God went to Babylon and those special temple instruments went there, it was the people of God lost, God lost. It's, it's like a part for the whole. It's the whole thing done. But that's not how it's going to end. 
because we have a God who's sovereign. He's in control and he's over all, yet he's humble here. He's not a proud, um, overzealous God. We see a great humility here. So let's go to point number two. Before that, though, do you or can you trust in Daniel's God like Daniel did? The God, the same God that is faithful to his promises, even if it looks like defeat sometimes. So let me encourage you and remind you today that God has already won and he will ultimately win in the end. And you can trust him in the process. Okay? So here's point number two. The Lord gave so that Daniel and his friends would stand firm. The Lord gave so that Daniel and his friends would stand firm. This is verses 8 through 16. All right, so check it out. Here's how the story rolls out. So the king commands his chief eunuch to, uh, to bring in the people of Israel both the royal family and the nobility, youth that were strong, that were without blemish, the text says, that they were good in appearance and that they were skillful, okay? They were full of knowledge and all wisdom. He lined all the studs. Come on in and we're going to train them. We're going to train them in Babylonian language. We're going to train them in all competencies. Like we're going to bring them under the palace and we're going to teach them um, all the literature that we have of the Chaldeans. We're going to assign them daily portions of the best food, the king's food. We're going to give them the best wine, the king's wine. And after three years of study and rigor and living like the best life, they're, they're going to stand before the king. And guess what? They did. Three years, there was going to be a test. And Daniel said, you know what? Um, I'm going to thrive here. I'm going to like function here. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be submissive where I can. Learn the languages. I'm going to wear the clothes. But when that food law came on him, it was like, you know what? That's just too much. This, this Babylonian college or institute that I'm under, I recognize that it is Babylonian brainwashing, and I won't go that far. I won't assimilate into the culture that much. And so he came to the chief eunuch, and with grace, with truth, with such gentleness and winsomeness, he says, well, don't take it from me, okay? I want to show you. Let your eyes go to the text, okay? And go to verse 8. It says, Daniel was resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs, to allow him not to defile himself. 
And then we see that in verse 9 again. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. But look at that for a second. How he asked that the chief of the eunuchs would allow him not to defile himself. You see how he wasn't contentious in the workplace? You see how he wasn't like obnoxious? You know how when you want to like be a witness in, in, in the world and you're so you like just take a stand in, in an actuality, you actually hurt your witness. You see how Daniel did it? I've shared with you some of, uh, some of you this week, but I have a friend in Texas, uh, two friends in Texas that I want to tell you about. One of them is in the computer industry, and he was given the opportunity um, to uh, share uh, amongst his bosses and coworkers uh, his evaluation of, his, of the gender um, inclusive and diversity training that he received. Anybody out there getting the same training? Yep. How does the Christian respond to that? This is how he responded. He stood up and he said, I want to thank you for allowing me uh, to be here today. Kind. I also want to thank you for being a company that welcomes diversity. Winsome. As a Christian, bold, right? As a Christian, I want to share with you what the Bible says about what it means to be male and female, what it means to be inclusive, what it means to be diverse, and what you, bosses, can expect from me as a Christian employee. And I think by the end of this time, you'll see that it is very valuable to have a Christian who follows the Bible in your company. Daniel-like. My friend Chris, he's a teacher. Every day. He's a Christian teacher, okay? Which means he doesn't proselytize his students in work hour because that's the law right now. So he's not obnoxious about it. He doesn't be like, you know, he's a fifth grade science teacher and he doesn't commandeer the textbook and spend 30 minutes opening up the scriptures. He's honoring his employees. But on his lunch break, he gets a 30-minute duty-free lunch break, okay? Where his bosses, the other teachers, they can't ask him to do anything. And they're not supposed to like talk about any work really. They can, but you know, it's anything you want for 30 minutes. And he this is how he answers the question: Hey Chris, how you doing? He goes, Well, do you want to hear the uh, good how are you doing answer? Or do you want the real answer? <laughs> Winsome, right? And because because he could just say, oh, I'm good, how you doing? Oh, good, good, weather, great, yeah, game, great. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But instead, he puts it in their court. Of course, they're going to say, I want to hear the real answer. Who's going to respond and say, actually, I want the superficial answer, right? <laughs> and so they go, well, um, tell me the real answer. And indirectly, he's teaching them how to be a genuine human. And he says, uh, well, the real answer is, uh, my wife and I and, and our four kids, we went to church this past Sunday. Because now they're asking. Now they're asking. We went to church last Sunday and the pastor spoke on this. 
And oh, as a family, we learn so much about this. And we're trying to follow Jesus here and here and here. And, and I don't know if you're at, but hey, here's what you can be praying for as we follow the Lord. Do you have any questions? You want to talk about that more? It's a pretty great way to handle a conversation in the workplace, isn't it? Because we know some that have dishonored their bosses in the name of Jesus. And they've, they're not good workers. <laughs> they're not, they spend all their day talking about Jesus. They're not getting any work done. And they get fired. And they're a bad witness in the workplace. Are you liking Daniel so far? Can I show you one thing that happened to Daniel? Look at verse 7 with me. Uh, we have it in a slide. There's a word that I want to show you. It's the word sim in Hebrew, spelled S-I-M, just like a SIM card on a phone. The more literal, uh, literal translation is edge, okay? Uh, look at verse 7a. This is how some translations read. The chief of staff set names for them. So this word sim, um, it is, it's, it's to put or set, um, but the, the wooden or literal translation is edge, Okay. So the chief of staff set names for him, 7b. So he set for Daniel Belshazzar, okay, which was the name given for Daniel by the Babylonians. Side note, um, we all remember Daniel and his three friends by Daniel. And then Shadrach, right. And if you watch VeggieTales, it was, that's right, uh-huh. And hey, there's total grace here. But when we get to heaven, don't call them that, okay? Right? That's their Babylonian names. That's their Babylonian names. They're like, why are you, why, why did you guys remember us like that? Um, but it's all good. Don't worry about it, okay? But this word here, it was like by verse 8, when two things had been set for Daniel, it was like this edge for him. It was, it was edgy. He just couldn't handle it anymore. So it, so it was set upon Daniel's heart. Have you ever felt that? You're like, no, I, I just, no more. It's like this edge in my heart and I can't, I can't, I can't go where you're going. I can't do what you're doing. It's too worldly for me. My conscience won't allow it. I'm taking a stand. That's what happened to Daniel here. Isn't that beautiful? And he showed a great winsomeness. He showed a great... Um, he honored the Lord in how he handled it. And Christian, just like Daniel stood firm here, you can be encouraged that God, you're not on your own in standing firm, that God will be faithful to help you stand firm in whatever context you're going through. You can take that to the bank that he helped people in the past stand firm, like Daniel and his three friends, and he will help you stand firm. This week and on in the future, whatever it is, in your marriage, in your motherhood, in your workplace, he's going to help you stand firm. Let's look at number three. The Lord gave, 
so his people would be fruitful. Last point was about standing firm. This one's about being fruitful. And let me read to you verses 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Verse 18, at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, and here's their three real names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. Verse 20, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them, look at the emphasis of this, 10 times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in his kingdom. And this last verse is intriguing. This is how Daniel closes out. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So in summary, these guys passed the test with flying colors. It says they were 10 times better than anyone else. Why do you think the Lord would have us read that today? I would say because of the Lord during a difficult time in life, his people can thrive. They can persevere. They can't, it's not just a survival thing, but they can actually be fruitful. You know what I mean? Here's it in modern day language. On Monday, you ask someone how, how they're doing. The typical response in the workplace you get is, can't wait for Friday. Just trying to make it till, just hanging in there until the weekend. I live for the week, right? This defeated attitude. And that's not Christianity. That's not Daniel. They didn't just have the attitude of, well, let's just make it. Let's just survive. They said, let's be fruitful. And there's a misunderstanding of the word faithful in Christianity today. The word faithful can sometimes mean this. Well, I'm just not going to screw up. I'm going to not drink. I'm going to not smoke. I won't sleep with anyone else's spouse. And I'll just try to have quiet times. And by Friday, I'll be fine. And that's not faithfulness. Because faithfulness is pursuing fruitfulness. God's call to be faithful is the life of bearing fruit. Amen? And so look at how that passage ends. What a statement right there. And we just sang it. We referred to it, that kings and kingdoms will all pass away. It's a pointed statement that God's people will continue to thrive if they follow God. Presidents will come. Kingdoms will come. But God's saying, Daniel outlived this dude right here. <laughs> and guess what? You can be fruitful under any leadership that God gives you. So, Mike, what is God teaching me through chapter one so far? Friends, if you are under an extraordinary pressure in God's kingdom, the forever king 
not just knows that you're under this pressure, but he'll actually help you in and through the pressure. He'll help you. He'll show himself to be faithful. He'll help you stand firm. And he'll, by his Holy Spirit, will cause you to be fruitful. Why? Because he's the king. And the king, in chapter 1, we're learning, is very generous. He gives. He's done it before. All throughout the Old Testament, he was faithful. He gave us his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Those who believe in him get the spirit of God to guide us, to protect us, to teach us, to convict us, to comfort us, to be led. We're led by the Spirit. He gives us His Word. In 1 Peter, it says that His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through a knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Christian, you have what you need. By the goodness of God. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you that you are generous. We thank you that in your generosity, you will cause us to love you, to stand firm, to bear fruit. And we're going to follow you every step of the way. Lord, I know that there are, are, are people among us friends, family in our church that are wrestling with, with tremendous pressures. They're going through difficulties. They're under the gun, as we say. Lord, I pray that they would be a bright and shining light in this world as they trust you. Help them not to doubt, but to take on an attitude of worship, Lord, help them not to be fearful, but help them look to you as they live for you. And so we thank you and respond to you.